Okay, folks. Okay, folks, we've been in the sign of his coming. And uh, I believe we'll wrap it up tonight. Uh, probably not even going to talk that much on it, but I am going to give you a few scriptures beginning in the book of Luke. And, uh, and then we'll be in the book of Ezekiel as well. So in the book of Luke, Bible says, uh, Luke chapter 21, 20, says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that her desolation is near. Okay. And in Matthew 24, where we've been, when Jesus told them not one stone shall be left upon another, speaking of the temple. They asked him, when will this be? When will be this? What is the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Well, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that her desolation is near. And he says, let, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountain. Let those in the city get, thou, get out. And let those in the country stay out of the city. <laughs> well, that's pretty straightforward. So if you're in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem gets surrounded by armies, Jesus is saying the desolation's at hand. It's, it's coming. So we've talked about him as the sign. We've talked about the sign of the Holy Ghost. We've talked about the signs of the Spirit. But here in this view, the desolation, the army around Jerusalem was speaking of the desolation to come. And this isn't in our future. This is in the past. Jerusalem was surrounded by armies. Brother Bob talked a little bit about the historian Josephus and how Josephus recorded as a historian what happened to Jerusalem and how Jerusalem was compassed with armies and how Jerusalem was destroyed. Unfortunately, a lot of believers believe this is a future coming, something that's still yet to take place. And you may ask, well, why do we believe that? Well, because we, we probably haven't been taught. We, we haven't really learned the Scripture. I said this this morning. We, get, we went to Sunday school, said this this morning and two weeks ago, and we should have got a clue that they called it school. You go to school to learn. So we should be learning of the Lord. That should be an everyday continual occurrence that we're learning of the Lord. So. 
And, and, and some people may even say, well, why is this even important? Well, Jesus thought it was important enough to speak upon it. So if it was important enough to speak upon it, if it was important enough that the Jewish city was to be destroyed, it's important enough for us to know why. And I've said this in this teaching, that he takes away to establish that as long as this mindset is in you of the old, you won't get established in the new. Just won't happen. The old has to be removed. So God had to physically remove it from the earth. But it has to be removed in our hearts, within us. There has to be a removal of the old. And then a coming forth of the new as he's revealed, as he's made known. So well, all of this really takes place in him. We come to know this as we know him. Glory to God. So also in Luke, in the book of Luke, a couple places in the book of Luke, and then I want to share with you a little bit on, on some things we were talking about last week. But in Luke chapter 19, Luke 19, and in particular, verse 43, says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will barricade you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. And Brother Bob said something very powerful this morning. See, see, Jesus says in another place, and well, maybe right here if I read on, but he says the Ninevites would rise up in judgment on this generation. Why, why, why does he say that? Because Jesus said that there's no sign given but that of Jonah the prophet. What happened in the days of Jonah? Brother Bob got into that this morning. What happened in the days of Jonah is Jonah was three days in the belly of the well, but it didn't end there. He got out of the belly of the well. He went into Nineveh, and he preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented. The reason Nineveh would rise up in judgment is they repented. So, so the, the difference in what goes on here in Judah is Judah didn't repent. So Judah just continued on in the tradition of men. And That's what happened with, with them. They, they were given a space of 40 years from the time pre Jesus preached a generation 
Really, I believe they were given much longer than that, because if you go to the old covenant, but but in the time of the Lord walking in the earth, they were given a space because it wasn't God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. All would come to Christ. But when that space of time was over, Jerusalem was taken off the earth, the temple, the worship. And I said this before, and it saddens me that Christians want to put it back. I, Whether I should say this or not, I'm going to say it. And forgive me if I say it wrong. But a dear brother talked about hearing from a, a Jewish rabbi. And, and I and in a conversation I was having one time, I, I thought in my heart, I don't remember if I said it or not, does that Jewish rabbi have the Spirit of God? Well, if he doesn't have the Spirit of God, why am I listening to him? Why am I surrounding myself with a thought process of something other than someone being affected by the Spirit of God? But see, Christians are led in this, in this teaching of, of old Jerusalem. They're, they're led away from the reality of the truth in Christ. They really are. And it's, and it's that this idea that old Jerusalem is going to be restored, that a new temple will be raised up, that a new thing, you know, it's like, it's like people quote the scripture, this will help me transition, a new thing's going to happen upon the earth. You know, the prophet speaking of a new thing, God's going to do a new thing. And, and what God did was in Christ, a new thing. There never been anything like this. There never been a creation that come right out of the substance of God like we have today in Christ. We are born out of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now that's quite a creation. Now, we have these earthen bodies, but we've been born right out of God. We were being filled with God. Now, that's something. So God's going to do a new thing. Well, he's done it, folks, and he's continuing to expand upon what he's done in Christ, filling us with himself. And there's not a greater new thing coming then of his fullness you've received in grace for grace. What's coming is the understanding, the knowledge, and the you and I grasping him. Now that's what's coming. That we're getting a hold of it. We're, we're coming to know it. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now, in Ezekiel's day, prophet Ezekiel, I want you to look with me for a moment, and then we're going to jump into some things from last week real quick. But in Ezekiel chapter all four, verse three,
says, Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. Now, in Ezekiel's day, Israel, Jerusalem, and Israel were dealt with. Maybe Israel had already been dealt with as the kingdom split. When you say, when I say Jerusalem and Israel, they split into two kingdoms. And so Judah, Jerusalem, was dealt with by Nebuchadnezzar. I believe he may have besieged it three times. He took some captives. Then I believe he went back and destroyed the thing after that. And Ezekiel was among the captives. Okay. Now, what's interesting to look at, just a thought, some things I, I, I was studying, a brother put on the internet. I'm going to look at them. Uh, uh, I thought they were really, really good. And he was showing how Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah were all around the same time. So, so they were all dealing with Jerusalem. And they were all, you, you know, had, had a word of, against Jerusalem. And then Ezekiel sees the restoration. After, after Jerusalem's destroyed, he sees the restoration, but he, but he says the besieging of the city is a sign. Now, I want you to look at this in Ezekiel 12. Ezekiel 12, 6 says, Verse 6, Ezekiel 12. In their sight shalt thou bear it up on thy shoulders and carry it forth in twilight. Thou shalt cover thy face that thou see not the ground. For I have set thee for a sign to Israel, to the house of Israel. So not only was the besieging a sign, Ezekiel was a sign. And then in Ezekiel 12, he said, 11, says, Say, I am your sign, like as I have done, so shall it be unto them. They shall remove and go into captivity. So Ezekiel was their sign. And I believe if I, if I had it here quickly, I believe also his speech was a sign. I believe I read that anyway. And I've talked about the sign of the Lord in the midst of Jerusalem, his, him himself, the Lord Jesus being the sign, the spirit coming upon them and them speaking in tongues being a sign, the besieging of the city being a sign. And, and I guess my point is this, this ain't even the first time. This happened in Ezekiel's day. And this was a sign of the destruction of Israel, of, of Jerusalem, of the temple. But in Ezekiel's day, that temple was, you know, it was destroyed. And then later on, it was restored and Jesus come 
And when Jesus come, not one stone of it was left. Why? Because the stone of the house of God that was going to be laid was Christ himself. And that's, again, why this is important for you and I to know, because he is laid in our hearts and our minds. And we become built up on him to be a holy habitation unto the Lord. Glory to God. So as we're built in him, on him, through him, we begin to become a holy habitation to God. Amen. Because we begin to live in what he is. We begin to dwell in what he is and who he is and what he's done. It becomes part of us. Sure it does, because we're his body. So why shouldn't it be part of us? It's it, it's part of him. And we're his body, so it should be part of us. That's how it works. Because he's affecting his body with himself. Glory to God. So we are built up in him. Well, one thing I got into last week was the covenants. And I wanted to expand on that a little bit. And I may do it this week, maybe again next week. We'll see. And, and I know it's it, it goes with Matthew 24. It's not necessarily directly with Matthew 24, but in a way it is. And what we're ultimately going to get to, I told Brother James, out here somewhere we're going to get to this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. And we're going to look at that in regard to the covenant. Okay. Now, I, I, I'll give you a little explanation, and I'll let it go till later on. But heaven and earth, if I just a little explanation real quick. I, I don't mean to get into this tonight, but not to leave you hanging for weeks. Heaven and earth, heaven is my throne, God said by Isaiah. So if I study the scripture, again, I'm going to send you into the scripture. And I believe it's in Isaiah, Psalms. I'm not sure about Ezekiel, but Isaiah, Psalms, and I believe Ezekiel too. God was enthroned between the cherubim. So the cherubim were above the mercy seat. The Bible says that's where he was enthroned. Heaven is my throne. And a throne speaks of his dominion. A throne speaks of a government. So when you in the natural, when you start thinking about a throne, you start thinking about laws, government, you know, of how it directs people's lives. Okay. And so to the Jew, from my understanding, heaven and earth simply was represented in that old temple. So when that old temple passed away, heaven and earth passed away. But Jesus' words went into effect. But my words will not pass away. So no longer are we under that old 
law, that government that God had placed in the earth for a time, we're now under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, who has made us free from the law of sin and death. So we're under him. We're living in that that he's done. That's the new covenant. And so we're going to really dive into this, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. But right here for, for a moment, I mentioned John the Baptist was an old covenant prophet. The new covenant wasn't ratified when John was walking the earth. And, so, and I think what's happened to us, I think Sister Bonnie really helped me last week, because we have a Bible that says New Testament and Old Testament. I think it was Brother James Register, maybe Brother Dale said, everything in the New Testament is not necessarily New Covenant. And everything in the Old Testament is not necessarily Old Covenant. But we have to comprehend that. So John was an Old Covenant prophet. The prophets prophesied till John. I want to give you a scripture that says that. So it's not just me making it up. It says in Luke 16, verse 14, Luke 16 and 14, it says in the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, you are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knows your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man presses into it, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one title, tittle of the law to fail. So the law and the prophets were until John. Now, the New Living Translation, I like how this says, it, verse 16, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your gods. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. So when John was preaching, what had not happened yet? Jesus hadn't died. The blood hadn't been shed. So the covenant is ratified by the blood. I'll show you this in a moment, but in Galatians 4, I think I quoted this last week. I'm going to read it to you. And if I read it last week, I'm going to read it again. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So Jesus was under the law. So sometimes we may not picture that, but Jesus was born under the law. And, and, and what will give you a clue to that is, is when his when Joseph and Mary takes the turtle doves up as the offering. Well, that's 
according to the custom of the law. So, so they're under the custom of the law. When they're coming up to the Jesus going, you, you know, uh, into Jerusalem because of the feast days, that's because of the law. All through the Gospels, it talks about the feast days. That's because of the law. Now, the Gospels were written after Jesus had died, was buried, and raised from the dead. But a lot of the context of the Gospels is the law. And if we don't see that, there's a good chance we misinterpret some of the parables of the Lord because we don't see them in proper context. And the scripture says in one place, without a parable, he did not speak to them. So everything he said wasn't literal. <laughs> so, so that throws a lot of weight. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. So, so Jesus was speaking a lot of parables. And the context he was in probably had to do a lot with old covenant Israel, probably in a lot of those parables, if not all of them. Not saying they don't apply to us, but a lot of them were speaking to old covenant Israel because guess what? He was under the law. And Moses spoke of him and said, God is going to raise up one like unto you, you know, me, one of likened to me, him you will hear. We're speaking of Christ. And Christ comes under the law, and Jerusalem is required to hear him. Well, we are too. Don't get me wrong. The whole world is required to hear him. See, he's greater than all the prophets that there ever was, because not only the Jew is required to hear him, the whole world is. He that hears my voice. But Jesus said this to the Jew first. You know that. He was preaching to the Jew. Sometimes with a woman of Samaria, when he goes to Samaria, if we don't study the scripture, we may not get this. Samaria was the capital of Israel. So, so it's not a strange thing. He winds up in Samaria. See, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he's born in the lineage of Judah, what Jerusalem's still about. And if I study the Bible, Israel, the two kingdoms, remember, after, after Solomon, they split into two kingdoms, Israel, I believe the northern and the southern kingdom, and it's Israel and Judah. And Israel begins to worship false gods. I think it's Jeroboam sets up false gods. And think about it. Jesus begins to deal with the woman about what? This is not the true worship of God up here in this mountain in Samaria. Well, Israel was carried away of Assyria. But according to, again, I, I don't know this for a fact, but according to what some people said, the Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews or or Israelites shouldn't be Jews because Jews pertain to Judah. We don't think like that either. Judah, Jew. That's a tribe. <laughs> but, but Israel, the Samaritan woman, what does she say Jacob is? Her father. What would that make her? An Israelite. 
If Jacob was her, her father, Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. And we don't see that. So Jesus comes to the northern kingdom, Samaria. And he speaks to them because he's going to bring life. He's going to bring both kingdoms into one, which is his kingdom. If I studied the scripture, so, so Jesus is under the law. He's speaking to the Israelites, and everything he says applies to us. Don't get me wrong. But to put things in context, to understand it, we have to get a hold of some of these things. So John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's a prophet, just like Isaiah was. He was prophesying of the Lord Jesus. And I probably got a hold of that more last week as I was speaking to you. It hit me like a lightning as I was speaking to you. He was prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now to expand on it, what does John do? John begins to baptize for the remission of sins. And the Bible says he's the forerunner of Christ. Why was he doing that? Because Christ was going to remit your sins. John's baptism couldn't do it. But he was speaking of him that was coming. <laughs> he, why was John the greatest prophet? You know, Jesus says of John that, that a prophet, yes, a prophet you went out to see. Let me find that. And I probably didn't quote it just right, but let me find this in the book of Luke. And you can tell I'm... Or it's actually the book of Matthew, probably in Luke 2, but in Matthew 11, it says, verse 7, Matthew 11, 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, what's going on in Jerusalem in that day? It's in Roman captivity. Verse 13, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias or Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But where will I liken this generation? It's like in the children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you've not danced. We have mourned unto you and you've not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking. They say he has a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking. They say, behold, a gluttonous, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and, sit and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. So John prophesied of the remission of sins. Now, 
Go with me to Luke 1. I want to get through these, so I may take a little bit of time, but Luke 1. Luke 1. And I'm going to ask you questions. You get there. Why was he, why was there not one greater than John? And I wrote in my notes much more said of Moses or Elijah and some of the others than John. Was it because he had the spirit before birth? That's a question I asked. Or because he was the forerunner of Christ? Now, what I'm going to say to you, it was John that made Jesus known to Israel. Now, that's what I believe he was greater because he actually makes Christ known to Israel in, in the baptism. But in Luke 1, and this is uh, Zechariah, John's father, verse 76, and you, child, will be called pro the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, if I look that up, and I believe I have, the word the Lord here is Jehovah. You will go before Jehovah, or you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give to the people the knowledge of salvation by forgiving their sins. Now, I want to clarify what I say. In the New Testament, Greek, it, the Lord there is not Jehovah, but what I'm talking about is from the Scripture, going back to the Old Testament. I'm probably 99% sure that word is Jehovah, but I'll leave that alone. And you, child, will be called the prophet the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give the people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercies of your God with which the sun, sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John is the prophet of the Most High. Now, where does all this come from? It comes from the book of Isaiah. So if I turn to Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 40, and it is, and I start at verse 1. Oh, this is, this is incredible. Comfort you. Comfort you, my people, saith your God. Speak you comfortly to Jerusalem and cry unto her. What is John a voice crying in the wilderness? Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. What was John doing? He was showing forgiveness of sins. Her, her iniquity is pardoned, for she had received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What, what have we received of Christ? Have we deserved? what we've received. So, so see, this is the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort you, comfort you, my people. You receive double for your sins. Go on, go on down in this. And he goes on and says, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What happens at the river? John sees Christ coming down and says, Behold the Lamb of God. 
the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Jesus. So at the river, Jesus is revealed to Jerusalem. And he comes straightway up out of the river. The Holy Ghost, what descends on him as a dove, and he goes out and he's tempted of the devil, and after that his ministry begins. And he begins to declare the kingdom of God's at hand. So here, John's baptism is speaking of what Christ is going to do. He's going to remit our sins. He's going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire, which he has. Baptized into his death by the Spirit. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Yes, yes, yes. So here, here we come. That's what John is speaking of. John is declaring that his work is declaring in the book of, of John, St. John. I think I have this, and you can go on and read all this in Isaiah 40. Uh, well, there's one I wanted to really read here. So before I go to St. John, in, in verse 10 here, and then we're going to go to St. John, Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule before him, rule for him. Well, his arm is described in Isaiah 53, and that's a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Behold, his reward is with him. What's his reward? The Spirit in all the fullness of God in Christ. And his work is before him. Watch his work, the cross. See, see all this. The old Zion that bringeth good tidings. What's the good tidings? What Christ has done. My Lord, read this close in Isaiah 40. In John, I believe it's chapter 1 I want, toward the end of chapter 1. I'm going to have to look it up, so you're going to have to give me a minute. But it tells you that the purpose of John the Baptist was that Christ would be made manifest, be made known. To Israel. And I'm looking, here it is in verse 31. It says, John says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. So what happens with his baptism in water? Jesus comes down. Jesus is the glory of the Lord is revealed to Jerusalem. Naturally. Jesus then, like I said, goes out into the wilderness, is tempted, and he comes throughout Judea, Judea, Judah, and he begins to minister, heal the sick, raise the dead, showing them that he's exactly who the prophet said he is. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And John says he came for this purpose. This is why he came that Christ would be made 
manifest to Israel. And see, see, that's still, even when Jesus is doing this, he's declaring the kingdom of God. But everything Jesus is doing isn't ratified until he dies. Everything he says isn't ratified till he dies. He's under the law. But when he dies, what he said goes into force. No longer the law in force. His words are in force. Now, flip over to Hebrews. Let me show you just a glance of this, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 says, verse 14, 9, 14 says, how much more, I love that, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. <laughs> oh, my Lord, how much more he cleanses our conscience to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the new mediator, and he's the covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Now, the King James says of the testator, the one who made it. It's like a will. It's not enforced till he dies. For a covenant is, covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it's never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood, for, then, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Now, what does Jesus says? This is the new covenant in my blood. We've not been sprinkled by the blood of goats. We've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ through the eternal Spirit of God, cleansing our conscience, the blood that was accepted to cleanse our conscience, and we have been translated out of darkness and into the light of God. My Lord, now the testament is in force and has been ever since Jesus bled, was buried, and raised from the dead. And the power of the Lord Jesus is not only did he die and ratify the covenant, he raised from the dead and enforces it. My Lord. So we have an ever- lasting covenant because he's never going to die. So what he has set forth 
is eternal and it's never being changed. Yes. So, so when this covenant came on, came on the scene, there's not a future covenant coming. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So John was speaking of Christ, even in his baptism. Because it's only Jesus Christ that can truly remit sin. And we are baptized into his death. I don't want to do away with water baptism. I had a glorious experience in water baptism years ago. But by one spirit, we're baptized into one body. We're made to drink out of one eternal spirit of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of the living God who remits the sin and brings forth glorious life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May God completely enlighten our minds and hearts to the truth that's in Christ. Why? The truth will make you free. It'll make you free from all entanglements. It'll, it'll bring you into the understanding that Christ is my life. And we live in the earth according to him. So we don't come under the condemnation of sin because he took our sin. He took it. You say, well, Brother Wayne, do you ever mess up? Sure I do. But he took it. I believe him. I believe him more every day. You, I, honestly, every day I believe the Lord more. The closer I walk with him, the more I believe him. He's so good. Hallelujah. I feel so good inside. If I could take it and package it in a bottle, what's in me, and give it to people, I would. And in a way, we do, because out of our bellies flow. We're like a packaged bottle. I need to quit saying that, because he's packaged it in, in a box, in a wineskin. My Lord. He's put this living word in us that we can share him in the earth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Well, I've been a long time, so I'm going to have to stop. Uh, I just feel the power and flow of his spirit. And I just want to pray over you, and I'm going to open it up for everybody. I just pray over you, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we are in your name. We are sons of God. So we're in your name. We're in your authority as sons. We come to you, Father, as sons. And we pray over every heart and mind here that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened in the knowledge of him. We pray over Brother Jimmy, Brother Wayne, those that's not in the meeting tonight. We pray over them, Lord, that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would know you in truth. 
in a greater measure than they ever have in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm going to stop right here.